Hey, goal getters, welcome to the We Got Goals podcast. This is Kristen Guile, and this week I talked with Hillary Nelson. Hillary is an explorer, a ski mountaineer, a National Geographic and North Face professional athlete, and a mother of two. So she is basically a professional at having adventures and at climbing up really high things and going down them really fast on skis. So we had a really exciting conversation and I had so much fun talking to her in no small part because we have one big life experience in common and that is that we both climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania with our families. So we spend about the first 20 minutes of the episode talking about that experience, the obstacles that surprised us and the moments of joy that we found in our families, and the community of other mountain climbers and our guides who helped us along the way. And then after that, we get into a little bit more about our month's theme of community and how Hillary has found it so important to build communities in the climbing and mountaineering world and the importance of those tight-knit relationships, especially when it comes to being in potentially very dangerous situations. And you'll hear one story in particular that is probably going to make your hair stand on end. I gasped twice in a row out loud and my heart was beating very fast and she was describing an incident that happened years ago. So get ready to have your adrenaline spiked with this podcast interview. She is also touring right now. And if you're in Chicago, she will be giving a talk with the National Geographic series on May 7th at 7 p.m. So keep an eye out for that if you're in the city. And for all you other listeners, here is Hillary Nelson. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast where we talk to high achievers about their goals. My name is Kristen Guile, and today I am here with Hillary Nelson. Hillary is an explorer, a ski mountaineer, a National Geographic and North Face professional athlete, and she is also a mother of two. Hillary, how are you? I am very good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me today. No problem. I'm really excited to talk to you for a few reasons. When I was looking at your bio and trying to decide how to introduce you with all of the accomplishments that you've had, my main takeaway was that you go up really high things and you come down them really fast. Is that accurate? <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Um, I do. I take a really long time to go up the really high things. And then, of course, relatively, when you have skis on, you're coming down them a lot faster, <laughs> a lot faster than you go up them. That's for sure. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, for our listeners who maybe don't know you and all of your accomplishments, can you give us a quick little brag resume? of all of the peaks you've climbed and the things you've gone down very fast? <laughs> well, I uh, have been doing this for about 20 years, so for a long time. So the list is long, but I spend a lot of time in the Himalayas. So I've been up um, Everest and a few other 8,000-meter peaks. I like to try to ski down them. So I've skied down from the summit of Lhotse, which is the fourth highest peak right next to Everest. And I've skied down from the summit of Choi Yu, which is the sixth highest peak. I have climbed unknown peaks in Mongolia, uh, made a first descent on 
several peaks in India, um, most notably a peak called the Peak of Evil, mostly because the name is so rad. That's not terrifying at all. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. Um, And I've spent a lot of time up in Alaska, in Argentina, on Aconcagua and other peaks around there. And, um, And then, of course, in the in my own backyard in on Colorado 14ers and uh, high up in Alaska and the, the Arctic national wildlife refuge. So I've, I've kind of bounced all over the globe climbing and skiing. Yeah. I'd say that's an understatement. And it is yeah. someone who I grew up in Kentucky, which is okay. Warm, and yep. then moved to Chicago, which is flat. So <laughs> I am completely at a loss as to how someone finds themselves basically a professional adventurer. So did you start skiing and climbing at a very young age? And then how did you develop into taking on these global insane challenges? Well, I think it was kind of a mix of two things from my childhood. I mean, I started skiing at a very young age. So I did start at three years old. Uh, I had an older brother and sister who encouraged me in good ways and also in sort of sibling ways to, uh, be competitive, to keep up, et cetera, especially when it came to skiing. I played basketball pretty competitively all through high school with an amazing group of girls that I started playing with when I was in like fourth grade. And so that sort of uh, kind of taught me a lot about um, showing up for your team and, and really putting everything into this community, this group effort, which is a lot of what alpine climbing and ski mountaineering is all about because you work so intensely with your climbing partners. And then I also had a a lot of time. I mean, I grew up in the Northwest out of Seattle, Washington, and I spent a lot of time with my family on a boat weeks on end, kind of in the wilds of the British Columbia, like the inside passage up towards Alaska by Vancouver Island. And, uh, you know, at a young age, I was, left to be very independent and roam about on my own. And so that was sort of, I kind of see the basketball and the, the, the wild times on the boat as like the opposites, um, finding my independence and also this, this team teamwork and that sort of set the foundation for it. And then I don't know, I just kind of went on this crazy uh, path far from how I grew up and found myself, you know, really connecting with mountains and climbing and the endurance and the the mathematical brain that is required to like kind of understand what it is to to tackle a big mountain um so really all of those things kind of connected to make me who I am um <laughs> yeah I don't know it, it was it was a long process for sure I didn't really start, I mean, I didn't touch rock in terms of actually rock climbing with ropes and stuff like that until I was 19. So that was, that's actually pretty late in life for um, having that be predominantly one of my uh, favorite things to do and, and a huge part of the skill set for climbing. Well, I'd say you've more than made up for it since, since yeah. that, that age of 19. Uh, right, and all poor the parents. Honest. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, speaking of parents, we chatted about this briefly before we started recording, but I was really excited to see in your uh, list of accomplishments that you had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with your entire family. And I've written about this for a sweatlife.com, but that was also something that I undertook 
uh, in February of 2018 with my little sister, who's 25, my yep. dad, who is not 25, and then my yeah. uncle and my cousin. Um, and it was incredibly challenging for reasons, both physical, obviously, because the climbing part is no picnic, but also right. there's a lot of emotions that go into climbing with people that you really love and, you know, something that you're trying to do together. And it's a, it's a different type of community than what I would guess you get from your climbing partners and a different type of partnership. So I'd love to hear about your experience climbing with your family and maybe sort of the unexpected obstacles that you faced with that. Well, it was, it was a pretty crazy experience. So the whole instigator for my family being in Tanzania was, it was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. Yes. So they wanted to, you know, we'd never done any kind of big family vacation for a celebration or for anything for that matter. And so uh, my mom had always wanted to go on like kind of a, a safari down there. So sure. my kids were really young, you know, they were four and six years old, but um, oh yeah, they're pretty little. And so my brother and sister's kids are all a little bit older than that. And so it was, you know, they're 10 and 13 and it was more easy for them to make this happen. But um I was game for it. Obviously a 50th wedding anniversary only comes around once right. <laughs> for your parents. So we all ended up down there. And then I decided that if we were going to go that far, it would be a great idea to try and add Kilimanjaro onto the end of it. And so I didn't think anyone else in my family would want to do it. I was just going to have my kids and my husband at the time go but then my sister wanted to go and my parents wanted to go and so we ended up being quite a big group I think there were like nine of us in all and wow. age, age ranges from four years old to 75 years old and it was pretty intense um my dad you know he was an amazing athlete in his youth but at 75 he he's a sea level boat person and doesn't you know exercise sure. much outside of that, but he just really wanted to be a part of this. And so while he didn't make it, he made it the same distance as my kids made it. So they only sure. made it to about 14,000 feet. And my kids wanted to keep going, but they were too young. So legally the park won't let anyone climb Kilimanjaro unless they're 10 years or older. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yes. Yeah, so my kids couldn't keep going. And, um, uh, they had to stop at that particular point. They were actually supposed to stop even lower down, but we were able to talk the the officials to let them at least go up to the, wow. the third high camp or the second camp or whatever it was. Um, but it was, there were so many challenges. Um, what The one positive thing that I did not foresee was that there are so many unique individuals on Kilimanjaro in terms of just foreign languages being being spoken and just all different kinds of cultural aspects that are on the mountain. I don't know. Did you experience that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there were a couple of groups that I think of in particular when I think about the people that we met on this trip. And one was a couple from the San Francisco area, Amy and Bob, and they were like volunteer extreme rescue people who like spent their weekends going to save 
hikers lost in canyons and that kind of stuff. And they obviously knew much more about what they were doing than we did for, for context. My dad had never been camping before we went on this trip. So like Uh we really, we went in full, like full on. Um, So Amy and Bob were always kind of leapfrogging us. Obviously they were the leaping and we were the, the trailer, Uh (laughs) but we would see them at camp and they just had this complete air of like, serenity I think is the best way to describe it but also like very uplifting so like they gave that sense to our group of like yeah you're gonna be fine this is totally cool this is normal you're gonna do great um yeah so I mean they were obviously from America so a little closer to home but then we also met a family from Britain I think and they also had young kids with them so we were always just happy to see that the children were like having fun and like that they got to experience this and seeing them interact with the guides and the porters was just a joy, like the games that they would play and the songs they would sing. And then I also remember um, seeing a German couple who was probably a little older than my dad. And they just, you know, they had their poles, they had their gear and they were taking it slow, but like they looked like they were truly enjoying the time together and being outdoors. So I think that specific mountain attracts a lot like a wide variety of people, you know, cause it is considered more accessible than other peaks. It is. And I think the upside of that was the, all the encouragement and the disbelief at having a four and six year old trekking up there. Right. And that helped so much because all of a sudden my kids thought, you know, they were like the cat's meow and they're like, <laughs> we're, we're the only one, you know, we're telling Graydon, he was probably the, you're the youngest kid, you know, that's ever, that's never walked up here. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but it was really good for him to just, you know, hold his shoulders back and, you know, he'd lead the way on the trail and he was very yeah, proud. Puff the and, chest out yeah. Yeah. <laughs> puff his chest out. And, and then the other part was, you know, when you climb Kilimanjaro for every two people, you're required to have a local guide, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Well, I have been doing this my whole life and I totally went into it with this attitude of like, this is ridiculous. We don't need guides. I can do this. Da, 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 da. And then, of course, within like the first five minutes, I was like, these are the most amazing people I have ever met. Like they make the entire experience what it what it is like. They define what an what an amazing experience it is to be on Kilimanjaro. So I totally turned around in that. And they were so patient with my dad, who obviously wasn't moving very fast and you know, he was really struggling and, and so pushing his limits. And um, and then again, just patient with the kids and so helpful in terms of just games, like you're saying, and singing and pointing out the flora and the fauna. And it was really uh, special in that regard. And, yeah. you know, my, my, my nephews were there, my niece was there. And it, it was just a, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. And I, I want to attest to the power, like the superhuman powers of the porters and the guides who stay with you. Like not only are they carrying all your stuff on their backs and hiking right. along with you, but they're also doing the work to, to keep your spirits high. And that's a lot of emotional labor. And like at one point on our very last day, when we, we attempted to summit, we only got to Stella point, which was uh, still very yep. high up, um, which we were pretty happy with because right. it is. yeah, weather happens, but at one point, yeah. one of our, I think it was our chef, was he decided to come along to help us summit because we had gotten along with him so well over the course of the trip. And he was literally pushing my dad up this mountain because it was so steep and my dad's knee was not doing so well. And 
this right. this guy had his hands at the small of my dad's back, like physically making sure he got one foot in front of the other. And it was just the kindest act that I've seen in a very long time. And I don't know, I guess the point of all this is to say that if you're thinking about climbing Kilimanjaro, you should do it, <laughs> is my big yeah. takeaway. And bring your yeah. family <laughs> if you can come I know, and I've had a, it. I've had a lot of people ask me that um, because they know that I brought my kids there. And, and, you know, when they're talking about bringing their family, they're typically talking about their kids when they're teenagers, you know? Right. And, um, I, I, yeah, I can't, I'm like, yeah, it's the best thing. It's, it's, it's just so much more than what I expected. And it's, it's a crowded mountain and it's not incredibly technically difficult, but that's where the, the people that you encounter and stuff come 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 into play essentially and just make it a really unique experience. And speaking of the people that you that you climb with, I'm curious to know, I am a total newbie at, you know, climbing and mountaining and all of those yeah. extreme sports that you do so casually, but I want to know what it's like to find your climbing partner and, you know, how you build that relationship um since it seems like it, obviously you need to focus on communication and you have to be very close and you have to be on the same page with really important decisions. So how did you find your climbing partners that you go on trips with regularly and how do you build that relationship with them? I mean, it, it happened really organically when I first started out because I was, you know, I was 20, 25 years old and I was living in Chamonix, France and it was very much, uh, I really liked the, just the adventure of it, you know? And so I was able to go with all kinds of people. I was eager. I didn't have any commitments. I didn't have any financial obligations. Life was very simple when I was 25. And so I would go basically with any climbing partners. And when you do that, when you have that sort of freedom and you experience the highs and lows of not vetting your climbing partners, <laughs> you learn how to vet your climbing partners <laughs> over time, right? So you kind of learn the, the, the relationships that work and the relationships that don't work. And for sure there are mistakes in there, but expeditions are intense and they're long. And just to define an expedition, at least in my mind, it's something that's, you know, two weeks or longer essentially and you're committed to like maybe not a sole objective but you're committed to a region or an area where you have some sort of very specific objective and so you're spending 24 7 with this person or people and oftentimes you experience things that don't go your way there's life-threatening adventures uh that come across your path whether you're seeking them out or not and it's how so so the point of that is like the best of me comes out on expeditions and the worst of me comes out on expeditions and that is the same with the people I'm climbing with and so you get to know each other so quickly and essentially you're you're putting your life and your trust in this other person and so you have to really have a good relationship and if that doesn't happen on an expedition more often than not the the trip as a whole is not successful and so yeah i've learned over the years what works and what doesn't but that also i i'm still prone to mistakes and i'm still prone to 
you know, not being a great partner myself at times, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things to consider in that. So I want to hear a little bit more about what it's like to try and keep that close relationship, that sense of community with your climbing partners when those tough situations start to come to real life. Um, Can you talk a little bit about maybe a time when you've been in a, you know, I'm sure potentially very dangerous situation and maybe everyone's the worst of everyone, as you, as you put it, starts to come out. How do you maintain, you know, your relationships and doing what's best for the group when everyone's, you know, exhausted, underfed, tired, all of that. And, you know, in a dangerous situation to boot. Well, I mean, the, the sign of a, a good team is listening to being able to listen to each other when all of that is going awry. Uh, I, I find that if I come into a situation and I am having a bad day, typically my climbing partner will come in with the opposite energy. Wow. And vice versa. And so it's it's very rare to experience everybody coming into a situation with a negative attitude. So it, it and maybe this is like a, an experiment in like human nature, but I find that if there is one person who's having a bad day, then the equal and opposite happens with the, another person or even the whole rest of the group and that they'll bring positive energy into it because the reality is you can't change where you are until you take action. And you can't take action if no one is leading the way. And the only way to really rally a group when you're kind of in that desperate situation is to be positive. And so there's there's always this sort of yin and yang in the group. And I don't know. I, yeah, that, I, I've seen that happen over and over again. Whenever I, I feel like if if you do get a group where the negativity is super high, again you you just open yourselves up to serious failure, but also danger. And so inherently, on some level, I know that, and most of the people I climb with know that. And you you realize that you have to deal with the dangerous situation at hand, and then you can. And then once you've done that, and you're back and you're warm in your sleeping bag, then you can be grumpy or you can be mad about something, but you can't do it in the moment that the danger is present. Is there a particular time that comes to mind? Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's many, to be honest. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> there's a lot. Um, like, gosh, I remember this is sort of back early on in my climbing when we were an all-female team. There were four of us and we were in uh, Western Mongolia. And we'd just gotten to the summit. We were climbing these five friendship, five holy peaks. And we were on the top of like the second or third one. And we were just about to go up the summit ridge and we took all our ropes off. Oh my gosh. We thought we were out of the glacier and it was just an easy climb to the top. And we sat and had lunch. And then the, the first woman, she set out and she took about four steps and fell into a crevasse. <gasps> Yeah, with no rope. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> no. I'm yeah, very panicked like, right now and this happened my, years ago. <laughs> yeah. Years ago and she's my, you know, my best friend, but she so she had her skis were still on her back. And so when she fell through the the snow bridge, the skis hit the backside of the crevasse and threw her forward. 
And so she was able with her ice axe to grab onto the other edge of the crevasse. But she was just like stuck there and her feet were like dangling in air. And so instead of panicking and freaking out, she was very calm and she stayed calm. And myself and uh, the two other women, like they put me, we pulled out the rope. This was all very quick, pulled out the rope. There wasn't a ton of talking going on. We all knew what had to be done. I tied into the rope. And I scooched over, just crawled over on my stomach while the person who had me on the rope made an anchor with the second, with the fourth person. And I just like talking to Kasha and she was like trying to describe how big, how much room I had. And I was just like pushing her from the back, from her skis and pushing her forward until she could get enough of a reach to start climbing out the other side of the crevasse. And the whole thing probably took like, three minutes. In my mind, it felt like three hours. Oh my God. But the the crevasse was like black at the bottom and probably like, I mean, it was, it was massive. There was wind coming up out of it. It was so big. So if she'd fallen in there, we never, she would have died. And, um, God. And then in that moment, we all reacted. We did what we had to do. We got her out. And then as soon as she was out on the other side, we basically all like crumpled down in tears. Oh my, yes. There'd be a lot and, of tears and, for me. And like, <laughs> and like kind of like maniacal laughing too, you know, that kind of like relief. But, like that you know, giddiness. And I, I, mean, I had nightmares about it for, for the whole entire rest of the trip. And like, but in the moment we dealt, we figured out the situation, we resolved it and then we fell apart. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's a really good example of like, and, you know, we were, we were, we'd been out for 15 hours. We were hungry. We still had to go down. We still were so far from camp. So we could only really have a meltdown for a few minutes before we were like, well, we really, we, we've, we've managed this situation, but there's a bigger situation going on. And we have to get our acts together and, and finish and get back to camp. And, you know, that was still several hours down the road. So, um, Yeah. Um, well, my heart rate is up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not that fun to look into a a gaping crevasse. No, I hope it's something I never do in my life. No, no, I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) They're very beautiful. Like I think glaciers are one of the most beautiful part of big mountains because they're like alive and they make noise and the the color is so unique, but, um, they are very scary at the same time. (laughs) Um, let's bring my heart rate down a little bit. I have let you get 25 minutes into this podcast without asking you at least one of the questions that we ask all of our guests. So let's do that now. Um, I would love to know what's a big goal you've had in the past. Why was it important to you and what steps did you take to accomplish it? Oh boy. Um, I would say one of the biggest goals I've had in the past was, uh, a, a climb up this mountain. It goes back. I mentioned it already. The peak of evil. Yes. Yes. I want to hear uh, about this. It's a, it's called Papsura and it's twin is Dharamsura and they are located in the Himachal Pradesh state of India. And the reason it was such a big goal of mine was because I saw this mountain, a friend pointed it out to me on my very first expedition to India, my very first expedition ever which was in 1999. I was in my early 20s. And I saw this mountain from afar. And I just remember him, this friend giving me a picture of it and being like, you know, this is 
this is like one of the most beautiful mountains I've ever seen. And I looked at this mountain and I was like, oh my gosh, that is so beyond any skill set I have. I can't imagine ever being able to climb it. And so then 14 years later in 2013, I just, I went back, I led an expedition with the North Face to go and try and climb this peak and ski it. Wow. And um, we didn't get anywhere. We got completely crushed. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like, it was, it was. So you failed fast. It, it, at least. <laughs> I, failed, I failed fast and very hard. It was, um, it was pretty interesting. We all came out with all our fingers and toes, but, and alive, but barely. Uh, and you know, my tail between my legs and just like, wow, I'm just not, I'm still just not ready for that mountain. And so then I went back again in 2017 with a smaller group, one person who was with me in 2013. And then my, um, my life partner, uh, Jim Morrison went in 2017. So just the three of us Mm -hmm. and we climbed it and skied it. Wow. And it, was, to me, and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. And it was like still even, you know, almost 20 years into an, a life of climbing mountains. It was the very edge of my skill set. And um, I don't think I would do it again, <laughs> but I did it. And so that was like a goal of just for me kind of perseverance and sticking with something and, um, you know, something that took 18 years from beginning to end. Yeah. I'm impressed that this mountain really stuck with you that entire time. Was it just always in the back of your head? It really was always in the back of my head. And like the friend who gave me the photo of it in 1999 and showed it to me, it is one of the most beautiful mountains I've ever seen. And so there is, uh, to me, there's a big part of climbing that involves like creativity and um, just there's a, there's an allure because of how beautiful I find certain aspects of mountains. And, and this just had all of that in one thing. And so, and, and of course it was also just a test for me to be that young, you know, 20 something kid that looked at this mountain, like there's no way I'll ever be able to do that. And then, you know, to be able to do it was a big deal. Well, congratulations. I, I'm so yeah, happy that you yeah. came back with all the fingers and toes yes, that so you much. left with. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Most definitely. So I I might be totally off base here, but I have always thought of climbing as, if not a solo sport, it's a small, a small team sport. But at the same yes. time, I think, especially where you are in Colorado, there's such a great community of people who are passionate about the outdoors and these extreme sports and pushing themselves to new heights. Uh, and I did not mean to make that awful pun, but yeah. there it is. Um, <laughs> what have you found from being a part of this community? And like, I don't know, I would guess I would ask how you find these people and like, what, what is that group vibe like? I mean, I, it, it's hard to, uh, this isn't probably even proper English. It's hard to like under undervalue, under express the importance of the community around climbing. Yeah. Um, in my life, like that, that is what it's all about. It's the, it's about the people I climb with. It's even from where I live in Telluride, Colorado. Like I, I couldn't do these expeditions and have this time away from home and away from my kids. If I didn't have this, 
really strong, supportive community here in my hometown that, you know, looks after my kids and sends me texts of like, oh, I saw, you know, I saw Quinn at school today. He's doing so great. Or, or you know, people who send me poems of like inspiration so that I won't quit because I get so homesick and miss my kids so much. And um, I mean, that community, that's one community that I have that I draw from that is um, been and always will be really crucial to, it's just incredible to have that support. And then the other community is actually those people that I climb with and that uh, that's, you know, that, that community is spread out around the globe and with modern technology, fortunately, you know, we're able to always communicate through different means, but then, you know, meet up in wild different places around the world. And uh, that community just inspires me because they're always pushing boundaries, whether it's emotional, physical, uh, just human limitations. And so I have a lot of respect for that. And uh, the support I've gotten from that community over the years has, you know, been the foundation for me to even understand what it, what it, what is out there, what the possibilities are for me in terms of pushing my own career. So, um, um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's all about community and I have a couple different communities that I'm a part of, but, um, that's pretty much what it's all about. I think. And earlier, when you were telling the the story about the crevasse, you mentioned being on an all female expedition. Is that yes. common? I think it is common. It's not as common as uh, all all male expeditions, mm-hmm. and there's lots of mixed expeditions as well. But there there are a lot of all female expeditions, and I did a lot when I was first starting out because I just found it much because I, I didn't know a whole lot about climbing mountains and I didn't know how to plan expeditions, et cetera. And I found that with all female groups, I just learned a lot more. Really? And how come? Yeah. Well, because, and I won't speak universally for this, but sure. oftentimes when I'm like the only girl in a, in a group of men or something and I don't understand something, I'll ask a question and they'll just do it for me instead of explaining. And that's instead a of teaching. gentlemanly, yeah. instead of teaching, there's a gentlemanly thing to do, you know, is, well, I'll just do it. And that's not what I wanted at that point. I wanted to be shown how to do something or to have the discussion about how to figure out a particular problem, et cetera. And I just found that a lot easier to do in all female groups. Interesting. And yeah, yeah, I mean, if someone's just doing something for you, that's not going to save you when you're in those uh, tricky situations. Right, right, exactly. So let's move on to our the second question that we ask everyone who comes on the show. I'm really excited to hear your answer for this, but what is a, a big goal that you're working towards in the future and why are you excited about it and how are you going to get there? Well, um, that is a good question. <laughs> um, I think that big goal is actually sort of more away from climbing. Like I still have a lot of climbing objectives, but that's fine. We'll take it. Yeah. It's uh, so you said earlier, like you'd always, you kind of envision climbing as a very individual sport. And, and in some ways it's 
yes, that is true. I kind of see it often as a, a, a somewhat a selfish endeavor, hmm. if you will. And so moving forward, like through speaking engagements, I've kind of taken on a new position with the North Face as sort of the captain of the athlete team. And what does that mean? It, it, well, it's, it sort of puts me, you know, at some point in my life, I went from kind of being the youngest member on expeditions to being the oldest the most and having, I know isn't that, it's crazy how that happens. And I have just um, learned a lot along the way. So I guess that that goal is sort of maybe more esoteric than physical and that I just want to give back and to share my experiences and to provide inspiration or some sort of path for people to live outside of that box. And part of like captaining on a North Face team with full of elite athletes who, you know, are, are, are doing much more crazy and adventurous things than I've ever done, but just to be a mentor, a, a, a help, a, a voice, support. And so that's, you know, kind of a different role for me. And I'm just hoping to explore that a little more. So does that count as yes. a goal? Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. How do you see yourself acting as a leader for this particular community? And like, what traits do you want to make sure you portray when you're working in this new capacity? Well, a big part of it is fostering the community of it for sure, because it's, it is in some ways a selfish endeavor, but that also can translate into being lonely. There's many times throughout my career when I felt super alone because I, I just ticked differently than really my friends or people around me. And I was motivated by different things and I am a wanderer and all of these things. And I, it, it it can be very lonely at times. And so, yeah, that is a big part of it is sort of fostering that community. There's a lot of tragedy around this particular pursuit, of course. this type of outdoor endeavor. Um, and I've experienced plenty of that on my own and being able to share that empathy and understanding, I guess, is yeah. a big thing. Um, so those are just a few of the ways I think being a female that has been doing this as long as I have also offers a unique perspective to, to everyone, not just to other females in the sport. Right. So all of those things are how I hope to add value in that regard. I know you will. Thank you, Hillary, so much for coming on the podcast today. I know you are yeah, taking on a few speaking engagements and the like. So where can our listeners go to find out the latest about where you'll be and when you'll be and, the latest things that you are tackling? Uh, the best place would be just my website, hillarynelson.com. And I know I'll be in Chicago for a National Geographic live uh, speaking engagement. That's in, I think, May 7th. Um, so yeah, I, I tour a lot for National Geographic and talk about some particularly harrowing expedition that I did with a National Geographic grant. So that talks a lot about like community and human dynamics and failure and all of those things. Um, so yeah. Awesome. That's probably the best way to find me. Well, we'll make sure to link to that so that our listeners can hopefully uh, find a place to come see you along the way. And thank you so much for coming on. We got goals, Hillary. All right. Thank you. This podcast is a sweatlife.com production. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please, Share it with yours. 
You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or review while you're there, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Manu for our theme music. To our guests this week, Hillary Nelson. To Tech Nexus for the recording studio, Ryan Deffitt for editing. And of course, an extra special thanks to you, our listeners.